When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are now tuned in to the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, mysterious, morbid, and odd from the other side of the world. I'm your host, Jessica. Please sit back, relax, and let's dive into this week's topic. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to the second part of episode 29. I would just like to apologize if my voice sounds extra weird because I am currently sick, but the show must go on. I originally wanted to cover all of it in one episode, but there was just too much information, and even having it in two parts most probably still does not do it justice. In part two, we will discuss a bit more about the prison camps, the fall of the Khmer Rouge, the trials that followed years too late, and an overall summary. So without further ado, let's jump right back to where we left off. Last week, the episode ended on a rather depressing note about the tortures that was carried out in the prison camps. Sorry to say, there's definitely a few more details I would like to discuss. Did you know that there was a tree called the Killing Tree where the Khmer Rouge used to kill babies? So, how do you use a tree to kill babies when trees are nice and huggable? You throw or slam the babies against the tree. Babies are incredibly soft, especially their heads. If that one single blow against the tree didn't kill them, they would definitely be close to death. Sorry, I know many of you are parents and human beings with a good heart, so this must be extremely off-putting. One survivor named Sum Rithi managed to provide several accounts of what he witnessed and experienced at the prison camps. All prison guards had the right to do whatever they wanted to prisoners, whether it was to beat them, torture them, or even kill them. If anyone tried to escape, they were killed. If anyone tried to eat other people's leftover food or discarded food, they would get beaten up. Prisoners were also expected to work during the day, but since they were all weak from starvation, many of them died from disease or just plain starvation. Things were awful to say the least and everybody was always terrified. You never know what's going to happen next. Prisoners who wanted a way out would even choose to commit suicide by jumping into wells, suffocating themselves, biting off their tongues, etc. Sum Rithi himself had been beaten multiple times and even experienced severe burns on his legs, but was not able to receive any medical treatment. It took over two months for him to heal and to return to his normal life, whatever normal was at the time. 
by the time the Kumai Rouge reign ended, he was somehow still alive and managed to find his mother, who was still alive. Unfortunately, his father and his younger brother were both killed by the Kumai Rouge. His older brothers had died of starvation, and his sister-in-law was set on fire when she was still alive. The tragic facts end here, but the emotions and the trauma will never be over. But the emotions and the trauma will never be over. It's very baffling to even try to understand why anyone would do this to their own people. On the surface, it really resembles the concept of the Holocaust, but in the Cambodian genocide, the Khmer Rouge were literally destroying their own people, not just another race that they didn't like. I am by no means saying either one is okay because it's clearly not. But when you're supposed to be building a new nation, don't you kind of need a decent population and supporters? If you're constantly killing everybody and putting everybody through hell, what is this country going to be like years later? Clearly, these leaders were far from geniuses and humans, so I will stop trying to figure out their thought process. What's really goddamn hypocritical is that those hotshot leaders of the Khmer Rouge actually studied in Paris and learned French. I mean, of course I know they want to be the smartest guy in the country, but it's just so messed up that they're literally the only ones who are allowed to have extra knowledge, and everybody else has to either fucking die and or stay ignorant. That is just so dumb. So, as you can see, the situation was extremely crappy during those years. People were heavily tortured and controlled. People had no human rights, families were split up, and everything they once knew was no longer a thing. But of course, nothing lasts forever, no matter how amazing or how horrible, depending on which side you're on. If you're part of the Kumai Rouge, well... Let's just say 1979 was not your year, and your time as an irresponsible human being would be over. So, let's do a quick recap. The Khmer Rouge was established around the 60s, and since people were using neutral Cambodia as a battleground, Cambodians grew wary and restless with the situation. The U.S. bombed Cambodia to get rid of the Vietnamese communists hiding in Cambodia, and with all that chaos happening, Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge grew and reached its height. They took over in 1975 and created Hell on Earth. Okay, so around the end of 1978 and early 1979, Cambodia and Vietnam were not really getting along because of constant invasions and the Khmer Rouge was very suspicious of Vietnam. They were scared that Vietnam would try to take over Cambodia. In one incident, the Khmer Rouge troops invaded a Vietnamese village and completely slaughtered most of the villagers. They wanted to strike first and show everybody who was boss. Vietnam was obviously unhappy with how things were going, so they buddied up with the Kampuchean United Front for National Salvation, as in a group of Cambodians against the Khmer Rouge which included ex-Khmer Rouge members and people who managed to flee the country before getting taken away. On December 25th of 1978, 
Vietnam launched a full-scale invasion into Cambodia because these crazy-ass people needed to be stopped. Merry fucking Christmas, Pol Pot and company. The Dream Team marched into Cambodia and on January of 1979, just like the way the Khmer Rouge did four years ago, they took back the capital city of Phnom Penh. Pol Pot and his lame-ass friends were then forced to retreat back into the jungles. That would be the end of the Khmer Rouge's reign of democratic Kampuchea, but not the end of the party. The party itself remained active till the year 1999, so they were active for about 48 years total, and 48 years too long, if I may say. After the fall of the democratic Kampuchea, they somehow still managed to retain their seat in the United Nations. What a joke. Other nations were trying to decide whether they wanted to keep Cambodia under the name of Coalition Government of Democratic Kampuchea or go along with the new government in Cambodia that was backed by the Vietnamese. Most nations voted for Democratic Kampuchea despite their association with the Khmer Rouge. The Khmer Rouge continued acting like angry sore losers and would randomly attack Phnom Penh, but never able to get back what they once had. Pol Pot retired in 1985, but he was still seen and acted as the leader of the Khmer Rouge till the day he died. By the end of this, the death toll was said to have been around 1.2 to 2 million, and roughly about one-fifth of the entire population of Cambodia at the time. So in less than four years, one-fifth of the country dies. That's pretty insane. Some sources even quoted a higher death toll of 3 million, while some others argued that it was way lower than that. Maybe just in the thousands. You will hear about that later. I know this is not a competition, duh, but it's kind of like the Holocaust on a more national scale. While Hitler went around trying to conquer the world, the Khmer Rouge stayed put and terrorized their own people. It's terrifying how just one or a few men can come up with these ideas, carry it out, then make history in the worst way possible. So maybe some of you are wondering, hey, so this entire party managed to cause so much damage to a country and somehow nothing happened to them? No trials? crimes against humanity, no United Nations meetings where they were condemned and shamed, not even somebody spray-painting the words murderer on their cars. Of course, there were. Not sure about the spray-paint part, though. But it sure took a very long time for any trial to take place, and many years too late. Alright, let's take a quick break from today's episode so I can tell you more about Studio. As an avid podcast and music listener, one of your basic essentials should be a good pair of headphones. My newest pair of Studio Sweden is the Vasa Bla, and obviously I got the black one because that's the perfect color for me. Aside from being Bluetooth headphones, meaning super convenient, the design for these headphones are extremely minimalistic and they're very light. The Vasabla has a battery life of 8 hours and a standby mode for up to 10 days. I used to own headphones where I had to charge them every single freaking day 
and it would just die on me while I was in the middle of something. This is very tragic indeed. Of course, Studio has a great selection of different headphones and earphones, and they are all rather stylish and ear-friendly. So, with the holidays coming up, you can use my Studio code to get 15% off your purchase and enjoy free worldwide shipping. I love buying stuff online, but every time I get to the shipping costs, it's like double the amount of the actual item, which is freaking ridiculous. Use my code now, Asian Madness 15, as in the number 15, to get a discount and send these to your friends, your family members, or even your enemies if that's how you roll. That's Asian Madness 15. Now, let's head back to Cambodia. Okay, before I get into the trials, I have to tell you about this thing called the Cambodian Genocide Denial. It's a very straightforward concept, really. A bunch of scholars, politicians, and the sort argue and discuss and write books about whether or not the genocide was that bad in regards to the ideologies, the fatalities, and the lifestyle. In my opinion, it's all pretty ridiculous since A. There were survivor stories and B. The Khmer Rouge did end up confessing to a lot of their crimes and see, there were a shit ton of dead bodies and skeletons found in mass graves. And D, it sounds really petty and crappy when you insist that, no, only one million died, not two million. Yes, I am very much aware that there is a rather big difference between one and two million. But when you get all iffy over this, you come off a little bit annoying and insensitive. In the end, it really depends on how you say it. There's also a lot of back and forth arguments on whether the Khmer Rouge was supposed to be good for Cambodia, whether it would have worked out, whether it was death by genocide or death by overwork and bad circumstances. While some believe that the genocide was 100% real and tragic, others believe that Yes, although stuff happened, it was exaggerated and possibly done for a good cause. One thing to remember, though, those that were arguing over this were mostly Western scholars and politicians, as in not Cambodians. These included people like the very famous Noam Chomsky, a few U.S. congressmen, and several American historians. Those that believed the stories were exaggerated never mentioned speaking to locals or survivors. And I believe good investigation requires that. Here's a snippet of Noam Chomsky discussing the Cambodian genocide and how he sees the numbers and the sources. Uh, let's take the Pol Pot atrocities, okay? Uh, you say here somewhere that everybody knows that Pol Pot killed two million people or some phrase to that extent. To like that? Okay. Let's look at that two million people and what I wrote about it. He killed no one according to you, right? This Pardon? book here. This book by you, you say he killed yes. virtually no one. After the cataclysm. Yeah. Now you can look and check exactly what I'm saying. You said it was a well orchestrated his, uh, campaign yes. of hysteria. And I, may I finish yes. on the two million? Okay. Uh, the figure of two million people killed was produced in uh, February 1977 
This is all described in detail in the book by Jean Lacouture, a French journalist, who was reviewing a book by a French priest named François Panchot, which had just come out in French. Uh, it was fine, about a year or two later, it was translated into English, and you can read it if you don't read French. It was called Cambodia Year Zero. Uh, that was the only book at that point by anyone who had any direct or sort of plausible knowledge of what was going on in Cambodia, so it was an important book. It appeared in France in January 1977. It was immediately reviewed in the New York Review of Books, translating an article, a review that just appeared in France. Did you kind of come to the point? Uh, I'll get to the point. I'll long, get to the point. The review and all I that. told you it takes 10 minutes to decode a lie, and I'm now decoding it, okay? Uh, this, uh, in this review, Jean Lacouture stated that according to Ponchot, Pol Pot had killed, in fact, boast, they didn't talk about Pol Pot because nobody knew him then. Uh, he said the Khmer Rouge have boasted, that was his word, of killing two million people. That's where the figure of two million comes from that you've heard over and over again since. Well, I was interested. I hadn't seen figures like that. So, and the book was not available in the United States. Incidentally, La Couture's review was immediately picked up by the press, quoted all over the place. Oh, isn't this fantastic? I'm horrifying. Uh, they've killed two million people. Uh, incidentally, in July 1975, two years earlier, the New York Times had already accused them of genocide. Uh, but now we had support from Panchot, the French priest, high source, says they killed two million people. Well, I had no opinion on it one way or another. So I did the obvious thing. I wrote to some friends in France and asked them to mail me the book, because no copy of it existed in the United States. It was being quoted all over the place. Everybody was quoting it, but it didn't exist. So I got a copy of the French book. And here's what I discovered. Here's the source of your two million figures. Uh, I discovered that, according to Panchot, the United States was responsible for the death of 800,000 Cambodians in the bombing uh, in the war in the first half of the decade. And then he says, according to the American embassy, the Pol Pot regime is responsible for 1.2 million deaths from all causes, including killing, starvation, overwork, etc. All right, La Couture read that. He added up the two figures, the alleged claim of the American embassy and Ponchot's claim about the American war, added them up, comes to two million, attributed it all to Pol Pot. That was the two million figure. Well, I did the next obvious thing. I wrote a personal letter to La Couture uh, in which I said, look, I don't know what's going on in Cambodia, but you misquoted Ponchot. Uh, I gave a series of misquotes. It turns out that every reference of his to the book was May a I total you for a moment? May I continue? We have some Cambodian older. I will con just a second. You asked me to you asked me to talk about your particular lie. I will now talk about it, okay? If you wanted me to talk about other lies, I'll talk about them. Uh, this if if you'll bear with me if you'll bear with me on this, it's a very illuminating story about the way a system of indoctrination works and about the way commissars work. Let's continue. Uh, uh, meet so the may I continue? Let's go. May I continue? You, you don't want me. To, you don't want to. It's plain that you don't want to hear this, and I understand why. But let me continue anyway. Uh, the so that, uh, I, I won't take the time to go through the other lies. I just mentioned that one. Okay, I, I mentioned to La Couture that his falsification of Ponchot's book was now being widely quoted, and I thought that was improper. I, I thought he ought to report what Ponchot actually said. 
Uh, he then wrote an article which appeared in the United States in which he thanked me for calling to his attention a number of errors. In fact, it turned out everything that he referred to was totally false, but let's forget that. And he corrected a few of them, not all, but a few. In the case of the number of people killed, here's what he said. He said, maybe the number killed was thousands or hundreds of thousands. But he said, did it really matter? In other words, did it really matter whether the actual number was in the thousands or in the millions? No, he said, it doesn't matter. It's about the same. And everyone thought that was just wonderful and very heroic. And after that, everyone continued to quote the two million figure, even after he had said, well, maybe it's in the thousands. And of course, I misquoted. Now, just imagine that somebody had were to say that about an American atrocity. You know? I mean, like in, in El Salvador, the United States is responsible for 50,000 deaths in the last five years. Suppose somebody came along and said, well, it's 50, it's, it's, it's 50 million deaths or 5 billion deaths factor of a thousand. Suppose somebody wrote, the United States is responsible for five billion deaths, you know, or 50 million deaths in El Salvador. And then suppose somebody said, well, look, you know, you just, but you misquoted and so on. And he says, well, after all, what's a factor of a thousand, you know? I mean, we would think that that's ludicrous. Of course, a factor of a thousand matters. It matters whether it's thou a thousand killed is an atrocity, but millions killed, in particular, a boast of millions killed, that's a very different atrocity. Factor of a you know, these things didn't matter. Uh, well, uh, you know, a factor of a hundred, a factor of a thousand, all of those things matter. Uh, now, uh, I wrote an article, and after, La after Lacouture said he didn't think it mattered, I, not I, in fact, uh, but a colleague of mine named Edward Herman, an economist at the University of Pennsylvania, he and I wrote an article in The Nation in which we gave the first actual review of Poncho's book. Poncho's book is the standard source on this, and we wrote the first review of it. I discount La Couture's review because everything in it was totally false. The book had not yet appeared in English, but we wrote a review of the book in The Nation. It's June 25th, 1977. You can look it up. And in it, we praised Poncho's book as serious and worth reading with its uh, report of the grisly atrocities committed by the Khmer Rouge and their barbarity. And we said, we have no idea what the actual numbers are. How could we know? But on the basis of his book, they're probably serious. And we ran through the range of, uh, uh, we, we, know, we also said we disagreed with Lacouture about the question of a factor of a thousand. We thought it mattered whether the number killed was in the thousands or the millions. Incidentally, in the same review, we also pointed out that Poncho had very significantly exaggerated the atrocities due to the American bombing. You'll notice that nobody's minded that. We have never been criticized for pointing out that Poncho exaggerated the number of killings due to the United States. In the same year the Khmer Rouge was overthrown, the new government in Cambodia passed a law called Decree Law Number no. 1, which made it possible to put the Khmer Rouge leaders on trial for their part. It was established in 1979, yes, but it took another 18 years to establish the ECCC, as in the Extraordinary Chambers in the Courts of Cambodia, or more commonly known as the Cambodia Tribunal. In other words, anyone involved in the Khmer Rouge, whether you were a prison guard or freaking Pol Pot, you got to live life stress-free and penalty-free for at least 18 years. Okay, imagine this. What if World War II ended and Hitler decided to just hang around and go back to his hometown 
raise his fam, and live like nothing ever happened. That sounds frustrating, right? And it should make everybody mad. Because the trials came too late. So many of the important players from the 70s had dropped dead already, including Pol Pot. Some died of natural causes, some were murdered by either their own party or by the Vietnamese, and some maybe even fled the country. Those that remained were ancient, and if you saw their photos, you would think, oh, typical Asian grandpa, that could be Jessica's grandpa, but no, do not be fooled by their age. Think of guys like the East Area Rapist. That shit is frustrating. Before his death, Pol Pot has stated that he had a clear conscience and did not believe that he did anything wrong. He believed he was misunderstood and that all he wanted was to make the country better. His mission was not to kill anyone. No, not at all. But somehow, so many people just died. Either he's the biggest liar on the face of the planet, or he's the worst leader ever. Probably both. On April 15, 1998, Pol Pot died from heart failure. His wife said that he died in his sleep. This death is just way too easy and so unfair to all the destruction and pain he has caused. Sometimes I wonder if he truly believes that he isn't guilty, or he's just trying to brainwash himself and those few remaining supporters of his, including his own family. Since he died in 1998, Pol Pot also managed to escape the trials that would have most likely sentenced him to life in prison. But considering his age at the time, it probably wouldn't have affected him that much. Interesting tidbit. In 2013, the Cambodian Prime Minister at the time passed a legislation that prohibited any denial of the genocide and the war crimes committed. I guess this gives the country a chance to charge those who were heavily involved, so they would not be able to deny or run away from their actions. Moving on to the actual trial. Note, it was slow and it took forever. First up, we have Comrade Duke the guy who was in charge of the infamous prison, S-21. He was arrested, and his trial began in 2009 and ended in 2010. He admitted to all his crimes and also took responsibility for everything that happened in S-21 during those years. He testified against others and apologized for his actions. Not like it made a difference at this point, but I'm glad he admitted that he had a part. He was found guilty and initially sentenced to 35 years, but that was later changed to life imprisonment. Again, Comrade Duke is in his 70s, so 35 years and life, eh, same thing. Next up, we have Nguyen Chia, aka Brother Number 2, also the right-hand man of Pol Pot. He was initially arrested in 2007, and charged with crimes against humanity, genocide, all that stuff. During his trial in 2011, he denied any involvement with what the others were doing. Can you believe this guy? Pol Pot's right-hand man, and he's like, nope, no clue what was going on. He insisted he was working on the government end of things, so he was not familiar with anything that was happening operations-wise. Yeah, sure. 
Despite his denial, he was given a life sentence. He's actually in his early 90s, so any day now. I'll be waiting. Third on the list, Yang Sadi, aka brother number three, was also arrested in 2007. He was charged with similar crimes as the others, but the difference is he died in 2013 before he could serve his sentence. He was 87 years old. His wife was arrested as well and was charged with the initial planning stages of the Khmer Rouge and of the genocide. But she was suffering from Alzheimer's by 2011 and was found unfit to stand trial. She died on August of 2015 at the age of 83. Finally, we have Q Sampan, aka brother number four. He was also arrested in 2007 and eventually sentenced to life in prison. He is currently serving his sentence at the age of 87. As you can imagine, most people who were involved got away with what they did. If it took this many years to find the big guys guilty, I highly doubt anyone gives a rat's ass about charging the little guys, like the prison guards and such. In one article, a survivor expressed how terrible it was to continue living like nothing happened, and in some cases, having to be neighbors with those that once tortured you and murdered your friends and your family. To be honest, I don't even know what I would feel more, anger or fear, but probably both. Prison S21 is now a museum. Anyone who is thinking of traveling to Cambodia should really consider checking that place out. It's called the Tuol Slang Genocide Museum and located in Phnom Penh. The building itself used to be a high school before it was turned into a prison. There are also lots of killing fields you can pay visits to, and also the tree that was used to kill babies. I will be posting photos of the prison and the killing fields and all that to the podcast Instagram account, and if I do plan on posting something rather graphic, I will put a warning on it so you can skip it if you want to. Let's end on a happier or a more relaxed note. Here are some fun and interesting facts about Cambodia. If you look at the Cambodian flag, the structure in the middle of the flag is the famous Angkor Wat. Very easy to recognize. It is one of the only flags in the world to have a building on it. The current king of Cambodia, Norodom Sihamoni, is actually a professional ballet dancer. Isn't that interesting? I think it is. One more interesting fact for all you spider-loving people. Tarantulas are considered a tasty snack in Cambodia. I'm sure there are other places that eat tarantulas and other bugs and weird stuff, but right now we're discussing Cambodia. According to foodies, the legs are described as pleasantly crunchy. Mm-mm-mm. Not. So... There you have it, the horrid crimes the Khmer Rouge committed against their own people. All in the name of power and a lot of twisted ideologies. I know this case was a bit heavy and intense and disturbing, but I believe these are the untold stories that deserve to be told, and we also need to know what is going on in the world. 
I admit I had very limited knowledge on the Cambodian genocide. So thank you, Adam. Yes, you know, that Adam. Point blank Adam. For suggesting this case. I love it when people suggest cases to me. And no, not necessarily true crime. Anything you would consider madness from Asia? I will be on it. Thank you all again for tuning in. Please don't start weird political groups or cults that involve killing off an entire country. Please just be nice and be kind and stay out of trouble. Till next time. Thank you guys for tuning in. I want to apologize again because I was editing my episode and oh my god, I sound extra terrible and I am very sorry to your ears. Anyway, I just would like to give a quick shout out to my newest reviews on iTunes. Thank you to Carmelita Thomas from the US, Pablov27 from the US, and JLo8872 from Australia. Thank you all very, very much, and this means a lot to me. Hopefully, my voice will be normal again soon enough, and I will talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. Please help me by rating, reviewing this podcast. If you're on social media, please look for me under the handle Asian Madness Pod. If you have any comments or suggestions, do not hesitate to write me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. I truly appreciate each and every one of you for being here. I am your host, Jessica. Till next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.